title this Soul of a Nation, Soul of the Nation, something, something like that. And that's, that's because you, I'm maybe a little loud. You think? Yeah. Annette, I think I may be a little loud. So, um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, this, this kind of stuck in my head. I heard somebody talking about it. He's been talking about it for a couple of years, I think, about now he's fighting for the soul of the nation. And I don't know why, I guess it was the Holy Spirit struck a chord with me. And I just haven't been able to quite get it out of my mind. The soul of a nation and what that entails. And does a nation have a soul? And reading through things, when you get down to to the word nation, you have to ask yourself, what is a nation? A nation is not simply a country. It's not the land that we possess here in the United States, nor the land that the Canadians possess. Nation is, is the group of people, and it's actually a group of people that are a little more like-minded, or people that are going after the same cause. Um, in which case, then you got to ask yourself, does a person saying this know what they're talking about? And you kind of hope that they don't, or maybe you hope that they do, I don't know, but if they're not aligned with what you're aligned with, and they're going after the soul of the nation, um, what are they doing, right? Right? So, I started out here in um, 2 Corinthians 12 through 14. And it says, Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom te- teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. I'm sorry? Oh, I definitely meant to say 1 Corinthians, because it was in the first one. Um. Now, this doesn't have anything about a nation in it, all right? Um, But reading over this, this kind of puts out to me some foundational things. Um, And this is, um, when we look at which things also we speak, not in the words. These are uh, logos words, which man's wisdom teaches. So the... The things that man puts out there, if they're not coming from God, are not the things that we speak of. All right? nor, nor do they understand what we say, because what we say 
is of God. The things um, that they're talking about comparing spiritual with spiritual or pneumatikos words. Um, when we look at um, the word no in verse 12, that is a word edu, and it comes from optonomai, which is to properly see, not just know, but to properly see. Properly see those foundational things of the Spirit, things that God wants us to know. The natural man in here, in verse 14, that word is saichikos. And that one is going to go back to um, a comparison of the word psyche when we get down to that, okay? But um, saichikos is natural. It is a... It's things of the, of the earth. The natural man, when it's, when it's speaking of this, are people that are using what they can see here to discern things that, are, that they see that, that are coming of the Spirit. And that is why the foolishness or the, uh, is the moros unto him. Because they can't know it because they don't understand it because they don't have the relationship with God. So they have not had those, um, uh, those spiritual blinders lifted from them. Um, in Matt, Matthew 10, 28. And fear them not which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy the soul and body in hell. Soul, here is the word psyche. And that roots back to, um, to Sucho. It's breath or spirit by implication. Um, so when we talk about the soul of a nation, and, and we'll see it throughout this teaching here, we're not talking about something in my mind that's necessarily ours. All right? It, it's, and compare it to my, to my M4, right? I had this beautiful M4 carbine. It was brand new. It was mine. It had a brand new optic on it. It had brand new kit, brand new laser, everything. It was mine. It had my name on it in tape. And I had to keep it clean. I had to make sure it worked. If there was a problem with it, I was to fix it because it was mine until the government decided it wasn't mine, right? Or until I mess it up. Right? So what I'm speaking of when we have a soul, we have a soul to mess up or not to mess up. But that soul wasn't ours. We didn't create it. That soul was given to us by God. So is it ours? Yes. But at the same time, maybe we're just kind of keeping it for him. If we do what we're supposed to do, that soul will be reunited with him. And we have the choice to mess it up and not have it reunited with him. When we think about the word breath, our next word here is in Genesis 2.7. And the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. 
Lord here is, uh, I believe Yehovah, if I pronounced it correctly. God is Elohim. Formed is Yasar, which is to, to squeeze into a shape. That's that molding. And the dust, if you really look at dust, it's clay. It's also powder. And when you think about that refining of people and that, that being contrite before the Lord, think about how Adam started as just a pile of powdery dust who was formed perfectly in the shape of God that was already contrite from the very beginning. Breathe is uh, napa, napa, and that, that just that means to inflate. The breath is nasham, which is wind, and the, of life is uh, hay or kahay, roots back hay. And man became a living soul, and that's nepesh. Nepesh is from napa, which is properly breathing creature. When you look at, now I'm bouncing back and forth, and I know this, but when you look at what I've got written on the, uh, previously for psyche, suko, breath, it takes you all the way back through the Hebrew. And this, this, um, this element's what I found to be kind of the most interesting about this when speaking of one's soul. And you think about Abba, Father, and having that intimate relationship where you're so close that you're breathing each other's breath. Breathing each other's breath is what started Adam's life. God breathed his breath, his saintly wind, into Adam, and that's what kick-started him. And when we think about ourselves, right? Let, let's just say we don't screw up, right? We're perfect little beings sitting in mama's belly right? We don't breathe ourselves. Mom does that. She's breathing in the air and the, the air comes into her body and the oxygen gets into the blood and it keeps us alive. And then when we come out, we take our first breaths. But all of this started with Adam and with Eve and with God filling them with the saintly wind. So through a whole bunch of series of leaps and bounds and connections, if you truly think about it, we don't, we don't get more air. It's kind of like water, right? You have an atmosphere that keeps everything in. It gets recycled through. You know, you breathe in air, oxygen. You breathe out carbon dioxide. It goes back into the plants. They filter it out, and it creates a cycle all over again. That's in the natural but if you go back to the breath of God that filled Adam and Eve, and you go back through all of this, those breaths that we're taking were the breath of God. Everybody takes breath of God from the very beginning of their life in a natural kind of way. Now, the... Soul, and everywhere that, that, that I found soul, and there was a lot of mentions of it in the Bible, it is speaking, and it all roots back to a saintly wind. It is all related 
to you as a person being linked with the Father and uh, living with Him as a part of Him and Him as a part of you. Unless it's the other word, right, where it speaks of natural man, and that was mentioned like six times. Um, so, when we look at things, right, the life emulating what's in the spiritual realm, right, and not to call anybody demons or, or cast any stones at anybody, but we can look at through history and wars that have happened in some way, I can almost relate back almost to a religious war in just about all of them. You know, recent history, Hitler was exterminating Jews. Um, you had communism versus non-communism in Korea and in Vietnam. And one thing about communism, a lot of times they're, they're going to stamp out the religion of the, um, of the people that, that they overtake. The wars that, that we've had in the Middle East, they out and out told us what it was about. It was about another religion, you know, trying to conquer ours. And that's just on the surface. So when, when, you, have, when you have a leader of a nation, and that leader is in charge of of people, right? They they are in a kind of a pastoral type position where they're supposed to be leading and, and shepherding. And then you got to ask, what's your definition of nation? What's your definition of the soul of a nation? What is theirs? So. Um, The, uh, the word in, in Luke that we're going to, to read, ethnos, uh, which they believe you know, re, uh, roots back to Etho, is a race as of the same habitat, a tribe, specific, specifically foreign or non-Jewish, one usually by implication pagan, Gentile, heathen, nation, people. But really looking into this and how it's used, when it's talking about an outsider or another thing, it is talking about people, when you're talking about tribes and how closely tribes are related, you know, a tribe of people, um, speaking about like an Indian tribe or, or any type of indigenous people, they all are following the very same religion. They're all very like-minded in the, their behavior and the, the way that they do things. So, in Luke 23, 2, And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, 
thou sayest it. Then said Pilate to the chief priest and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at the time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught, and mocked him, and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him again to Pilate. And the same day Pilate and Herod made friends together, for before they were enmity between themselves. And I should have deleted that uh, other part in there. Apologize. And Pilate, when he called together the chief priest and the rulers and the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined him before you, have found no fault in this man touching those things where ye accuse him. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For necessity, he must, uh, he must release one unto them at the feast. And they cried all, out all at once, saying, Away with this man and release unto us Bar, uh, Barabbas. What? Barabbas. Thank you. It's my Alabama getting in there. Barabbas. Uh, Pilate, therefore... Willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil, evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices, requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priest prevailed. All right, I know that was a lot, a lot of words. All right, so at the, and they began to accuse him. That is categorio. And that is, um, interestingly enough, that is actually... Um, it's like a plaintiff that's somebody that, that is, it's not just accusing him. This is actually just standing out outright everything against him. It doesn't matter how anything comes out of this. These guys are already set against everything that he stands for. They are creating, saying is Lego. They are giving their own foundational truths about Jesus. 
Go ahead, you have something? Well, that categoros, or however you say it, mm. is, um, it, it has a, a component that references Satan. Yes. So this is definitely, it's just blatantly satanically driven, and it's a lot of what we see right now in our society. The things that are happening are, the only source they can come from is Satan because of oh. the objective of what they all, they are. So. I agree, and that's where I'm trying to go with this. Now, oh no, no, it's good, because sometimes it helps me, right, move along. When things, right now, a lot of things that, that are said are just the opposite of what we've known as reality, with no, no reason, no rationale, no scientific basis for anything. It is... To me, some days it seems like we woke up this morning and somebody's trying to tell us that everything that we've known our whole life just isn't true. And when, when that happens, um, and I say it particularly right now, that is an attack by Satan on this nation because it's not just one or two things that are going on. It's not one or two people. This is coming out as a whole to the masses through media, social media, and all that good stuff. So perverting the nation, um, I wish I had written down the, the word for perverting, but they are accusing Jesus of essentially making up his own truth and twisting his truth which ironically is the same thing that they're actually doing at that very moment. Exactly, projecting. Yeah, which, what do we have right now? You know, this is what we see every day. You know, the perverting the nation. And these are people... Uh, well, I want to say the... Go, go ahead. Uh, the, the Jews and the, and the people there that, that he's preaching truth to that don't want to hear what he has to say. And it's not so much that they know that it's wrong or that they don't know that it's wrong or that they know that it's right or that they don't know that it's right. It's, mo it's more probably that they knew that it was right. They were losing their control. Go ahead. Again, it just sounds like exactly where we are today. And that word, we found this fellow, it makes it sound like oh, we just came upon him doing whatever and we discovered this. But that word really means we were really, really searching and looking and, and finally we came up something that we could kind of finagle to charge him with. But we right. were really trying to, to manufacture something, anything. It didn't matter what it was to hold against him. Correct. And to, to put their cherry on top of it, right, they come off with forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. So for sure they have him because he's not doing his part for the ruler of, of, of the nations, right? And out and out. It's nonsense. And you know, I grew up hearing things about Pilate, right? And that the whole reason that Pilate did this and asked three times, and, and I'm not going to say grew up, this was what I learned in, in a... Uh, Baptist uh, school was because Pilate was iffy. 
Pilate didn't want to make a decision on what to do with them. Uh, there's also, you know, rumors that Pilate left and, and that he killed himself. And there's also rumors, you know, that he wasn't a good leader. Uh, and there are people that, scholars that say actually just the opposite. He had to have been a decent le uh, leader because they left him in charge as a governor in Judea for, I think it was 10 years or, or more. And there's actually no record that he killed himself due to him smiting or killing a whole bunch of Samaritans or Samarians. Tiberius called him back and he was on his way to go meet and probably get fired. And uh, Tiberius died before he got there. And there's a, a consensus that he may have just went into retirement. There's also a consensus that he might have become a Christian himself either after this or shortly before this. But Going into all this, there's actually no real history about him before or after his time in Judea. And it brings me to a show that we watched one time, and it was uh, about Alexander the Great or one of those guys from back in the day. The show probably took some creative liberties, but they had a Viking that was helping them fight Vikings. But the Viking was born a Saxon or whatever, but he was saying... Alexander Great was telling this guy, you're never going to be in history because we write it and you won't be here because the way we're going to write this is that we did everything, you know. It's because of a contentious relationship. But when you think about it, when you think about that right there, anything that you have that's written down, that's historical record is written by a man or a woman and it is a perspective and when you're winning wars, especially back in the day, you got to tell your story. It didn't matter what the other side had to say. There's a saying that we have in the government, it's all in how you tell the story. Uh, there's a lot of truth to that, right? That's what these guys were doing. They were trying to tell their story to Pilate about this fellow that they found that was not wanting to give tribute to Caesar, right? And he was perverting their nation, um, and that's just not necessarily accurate. Go ahead. I, I, you know, you're talking about Pilate, and I just think of how interesting that was that, um, you know, he lived his whole life and, and became who he was, and basically it was for this moment in time. And, uh, you know, what happened after that? We don't know. But uh, his moment was to declare officially, uh, by law, that Jesus was innocent, was not to be killed. So there was no doubt uh, in anybody's reading of this that Jesus could have done something that deserved you know, the Jews to have him killed. Um, and, and it, it really exposes the projections and, and the lies and, and the skullduggery that was going on with the Jewish leaders uh, against something that, like you said, threatened their um, a, a power, their control. And so just reading this leaves the reader with no doubt that these Pharisees and Sadducees in in we're just about control and not about truth. 
and that Jesus had nothing uh, legally to bring him to death. So that verified the prophetic word that was given about you know, who he was and what he was about to do. I think it's interesting, too, is that he tried so hard because of the legalities of things. I mean, granted, he's the prelate over the whole area there, so he can do whatever he wants. You, Jesus wasn't a Roman citizen, so he didn't really come under Roman rights, but he really could have killed him or kept him alive. It was his choice. He knew there was no reason to kill him, but the interesting thing is, is that he succumbed because of that last word, prevailed. And I didn't. I never realized that that part of that word is discouros. So that just proves that this was strictly a spiritual battle that was overcoming even him, that he succumbed to. I mean, you could talk about the the um, uh, politics of it all and how the people would have up had an uprising and this was a hot spot already and you know it wasn't the best place to get sent to if you're going to rule. But you had to have someone there that could rule and keep the people in in under control and and that if if he let it get under control it could be the end of his his whole career or whatever you could you can argue all of that but the bottom line is is that the authority structure in the realm was overwhelming to him and he had nothing to fight back against it with because he was not a spiritual person mm-hmm. very true and he he went back to them three times, and, and we're going to get to those because he changed some of his wording throughout those times and essentially put this decision on them. You are going to own this decision because I'm owning to the extent that I'm willing to, right? If, if you want to completely own it, you pardon the guy and you send him on his way. But I'm telling you, that he's done nothing wrong by law. Now these saying and said and asked, they go back and forth between like two different words. And that's going to be Lego and another word that doesn't matter as much, right? But the, the other word is, is saying, right? But what I want to point out, and Pilate asked him saying, art thou saying in verse 3 is Lego, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. And in this, Jesus just told Pilate, You just put the truth that I am king of the Jews. That's what he said. You just legoed that I am king of the Jews. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were more fierce, saying. Now this word saying, they actually had two words in here. It went lego, hoti, hotai, or something. Lego is truth. Hotai is one that they made up. It actually says right here, word for word, where this was written down. They're already figured out. Pilate, everybody knows this is nonsense. And that's, that's what this is saying. They made up their own uh, truth. And um, 
by saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout uh, all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. And when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were Galilean. And soon he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction. Herod comes in and Herod finds no fault with him. This is, again, they bring him back. There's no reason to kill Jesus. And this actually, I guess, made Pilate and Herod friends because he got to talk to them. Um, But down here in verse 14, uh, Pilate again said unto them, Ye brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. Now people and nation are not the same word in in the Greek. The people that he's, that he's saying, he's speaking of, are just random people. People that aren't necessarily of one mind, one tribe, one religion, uh, one accord. And I may be reading into this, but the way I'm reading this is he's peeling back the layers of the onion and the truth here. It's going from he is perverting a group of like-minded people to turn all of those people into something they shouldn't be. To now, you found these are just random people. They're not necessarily a nation of people. They're people. And you're still accusing him of twisting and perverting uh, the truth. And behold, I have examined him before you. And this is scrutinized and questioned. and Investigated is, is what that means. I have found no fault in this man Touching those things. Touching those things is one word, and it's K-A-T-A, kata, kata. And trying to run between English and Greek on this one, what I really think he's saying here is that even though this man is standing against What you're saying, he has done nothing wrong. That's how I read that. I may be misinterpreting it, but that's the best I can do. If if somebody wants to chime in there, that would... Yeah, I don't have the same word in here, and it could be that mine is a wrong definition. What do you have? But it's got the alternative that you had before, which is HOS. Okay, you've got that that one. But that would play out with what your interpretation is, what you just said. Okay. Good, well, at least we got the same interpretation. So, so, and then again, accuse, if if we go to accuse, it should be the same as it is up there, the the demonic uh, categories, yeah. So, So what he's saying here, right, is that there is nothing wrong with this man standing against what you're saying. It's also, uh, to me, acknowledging that what they're saying is that the accusations are of uh, a satanic uh, basis and that essentially they're being called out at this moment in front of themselves, in front of their peers, their friends, everybody, by this Roman right, as, as being wrong, you know, I'm not 
You know, they, they were hypocrites. That could be insinuated in here. I don't know. But he has peeled everything, and to me, he's taken this like an attorney or, or a politician would, and he's picking apart everything that they're saying in front of them and in front of Jesus. Go ahead. The um, similarities of what we're living in right now are so, it's like if you lined them up side by side, you can see the same thing. I mean, you yep. know, the, the cabal, the elite, the deep state, whatever mm -hmm. you want to call them, the ones, the elites that are trying to take over the, take over the world, actually, are, are really those people, that population gathered together. And their, their narrative is, oh, you're ruining the world if you don't do this. You're ruining this. You're, not, you're ruining people's rights if you don't do this. Mm -hmm. What they really mean is you're ruining our chance at existing solely on this earth to have every luxury we want without the, the threat of having it overpopulated. Correct. What COVID did, right? And, and it's very similar. So, and again... Forgive me if I take too many liberties up here. Satan got Jesus killed, and it all played into God's hands. It was already supposed to happen. All of these guys, even though they thought they were getting what they wanted, Jesus had disciples that lived to tell his story, and it survived for a couple thousand years. Unlike Uhtred's story, who didn't get told, Right? Uhtred may not have existed. I don't know. He was in the show, right? But because Andrew the, the Great didn't tell his story. And if it was up to random Pharisee guys sitting over there, and maybe even if it was up to Pilate, whose story didn't get told past, but past him getting in trouble with Tiberius for killing those people, Jesus is one that got told. But God wanted Jesus' story told. And there were his disciples that followed him and a few of them wrote enough about him and a few other people wrote enough about him that it, it, it stuck, right? By the hand of God, that story has been told. And we're learning more every day. Every time you read it, you're learning more. What did COVID do? It exposed, it exposed the enemy attacking our children. It exposed people for what they were, the people that were sitting there hiding and trying to control. Just like these guys, it's been about control. The enemy trying to control whatever, they can, uh, whatever he can. And people allowing him to use them. You know, we have just so, some of the most ridiculous things, right? If you can't figure out what you are, you've got to call somebody non-binary. Non what in the world does that mean? That makes no sense. That is something that's completely illogical. Pick a team, pick a side. But yeah. So, so when, you, when you have no backbone, when you don't stand on anything, you can't stand for anything. And eventually, eventually it catches up to you because your arguments don't make sense because you appease this group and this group and this group and this group. And eventually you appease this group because you've got to appease them, but this group over here doesn't like this group. And now you're a bigot. But wait a minute. I did everything all you guys asked. 
Because it didn't make sense. It's illogical. Um, and we got to see firsthand what our children were being taught in school. We got to see the indoctrination of, and I don't want to say of the state, but of the state, right? Because the public schools are run by the, the government. We had to see people who were supposed to be in a state where you have separation, or a country where you have separation of church and state, violating that, not by inserting church, but by inserting nonsense that were beliefs that should have still been separated because they are beliefs and they aren't um, truths. Exactly, very similar to a different type of religion. But it wasn't Christianity, it wasn't Islam, it wasn't Judaism, Buddhism, or whatever the, the isms and the, the ends are. So it was okay. Pseudoscience, right? Again, you get to choose. No, I'm going to back off that one. So, in this, though, this is what I think brought me to this teaching. That and some genius talking about how he's going to, he's fighting for the soul of this nation. So, let me keep going here and then I'll get to the other tangent. Um, Alright. So, no, nor yet haired, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of his death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. I didn't look up release, but chastises, he's going to discipline him, talk to him, whatever. Uh, the list of things could be maybe a light flogging. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get back then, right? Um, and, um, you know, it talks about must release one because of the feast. It says, and they cried out all at once. Cried out is anacrazo. And... Crazo has to do with the relationship with God. I got a twitch in my eye. Stayed up too late. Um, if I'm correct, Anacrazo, they are crying out. But they are crying out not just against what Pilate is saying, but they are standing against God's purpose and intention. And they did it all at once, saying, away with this man and release us the other guy. And um, Pilate, therefore willing to release Jesus, spake again to them, but they cried, saying, crucify him, right? And then on the third time he said, why? What evil hath he done? I have found no cause for death in him. And then he says again, he will chastise him. He... Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by this, uh, crying out all at once. Um... It, it would appear that this is a statement that is speaking about the influence of the enemy. It was a, a, a mass influence. It just wasn't, you know, one person, but it, it, it encompassed the whole company there. It, mm -hmm. it took over and, and made them as one. So it was a spiritual influence that was a twisting of what the Holy Spirit does, making us one, because when we declare the goodness of God in, in that reality, we are crying at one. You know, we are, we are doing it at once together. Um, and, and so I think we see plainly by this 
how the enemy uh, was making the influence here. It was that same influence that they used in Ephesus when uh, they were making um, idols of Diana, yep. and the people started cradzoing against Paul that was in the city. Yep. And it's, it's the same thing. There's a unity. There's a, uh, a synergy that occurs for the good or the bad when mm -hmm. this type of cradzoing occurs. And, of course, theirs was geared towards the demonic. So. so in verse 23, And they were instant with loud voices. Magus is that word loud. Requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and the chief priests prevail. So Magus, talking about controlling and dominion. Um, this is when the enemy, during, throughout the whole thing, but this is like, like the end, right? This is the, the final... We, final breakthrough on, on his behalf, right? He was able to morph his agents' voices uh, into a place that would be acceptable uh, with an acceptable message to, to get his will accomplished. Did you, did you look at the word for requiring? No, I didn't. It's Iteo. It carries with it that authority. You have to have the authority. So they were using demonic authority to demand. No, to demand the crucifixion. Requiring. So they used Magus power, right, with the demonic authority to enact Satan's will. Thus giving God what had to happen. Kind of backfired on him. Go ahead. It all begins with a voice. Mm -hmm. So, go, go ahead if you got more. Just whether it's demonic or the Lord, you know, God created this universe and he brought his dominion to be known on this earth through his voice. Satan was there when he did that. He knew the authority of the voice. He knew how it worked. And so he exercised his own authority, his own voice, to demonstrate his power as the Lord allowed him to have in that limited capacity, really, because ultimately it was fulfilling God's purpose. But he understood and brought the people to partner with his voice. So looking at this, words have power, right? All words have power. The Pharisees wanted control. Satan wanted control. I just killed God's son. How powerful am I? I motivated all these people to do what I just said. I motivated a nation. I took the soul of the nation and we killed God's son. So when I think about the soul of the nation... The soul of the nation, of this nation, of any nation, however you want to divide these up, is not people's. Nobody has a right to that. That is God's. It is a responsibility of the saints to fight for the soul 
of the nation of the world. It's our responsibility. It's, it's that uh, the Hagios fighting, working with the very definition of what a soul is, which is that breath of God. Um, we can't depend on random person that's going to go up here and say they're going to fight for the soul of the nation because that's scary. When we look at it in this tense, that's very scary. If that person is not aligned with what God wants, that person is trying to steal something that isn't theirs. Go ahead. He doesn't have authority. Right. He doesn't have it. He wants it. Um, when we hear all these people talking, right, going back to voices, you get these talking people on social media and on the TV, and they want to prove their point, so they just yell louder. And it seems silly. But what happened here? They yelled louder. The Pharisees yelled louder and stronger and more together, and they tapped into things that weren't theirs to tap into. And they got an outcome that they wanted. Just like what can happen now, what you see happening some, with droves of people. This group of people says this, this group of people says this. Let's just flip-flop back and forth on what we believe in and what's right or what's wrong. Things that, that have been wrong since the beginning of time, all of a sudden, aren't, they're not really wrong. And you that thought they were wrong, you're bad for it. I got a word for you, you're a bigot. Um, and that, that is the true fight right there for the soul of a nation is not going after one person or being one person trying to tell everybody else how to think or what to do. It is us doing our part to partner with God, to partner with the saintly wind and to grow saints and to, to pray for the, the nations not necessarily the countries, but the nations, the people, the, the groups of like-minded individuals, and to try to bring them into our nation of like-minded individuals so that we are all working towards the purpose of God. And that's all I have. Um, I've been reading that Bonhoeffer book that Pastor had mm -hmm. out in Dallas. And I thought it was really interesting. He came over from Germany. He was a, a theologian, and he, was, he already had taken a stance, even though I don't think he yet had a relationship with the Lord. He knew enough to realize that everybody in Germany was, that was a theologian were really godless, and they weren't preaching Christ at all in the church. And so he came over to America to go to a well-known theological seminary up in New York City, thinking he would find that over here, and was shocked to find out that that same thing was going on here, except worse. It, all the people that were being uh, held up and idolized as wonderful preachers and evangelists in America were actually preaching humanism. Mm -hmm. And um, they were, you know, the Rockefellers were building big cathedrals for them and, and making sure their men were in there that would preach. the And they were, they were preaching into the seminaries, into the theological uh, schools and stuff. And the place that he found that Christ was being preached, he went to the south and was even in some churches here, but the place that he found that Christ was being preached was in the African-American church. He called it Negro at the time. That's what it was known as. And so 
he took that back home and it totally radicalized him for Christ because it, it just turned him out of the theological. He was still could argue theologically, mm-hmm. you know, and, and really compel people. But now he had the spirit of God behind it. And I find that so interesting because I was praying uh, yesterday. One of the promises for breakthrough was the African-American church is supposed to rise up in this nation. And I thought, you know, just like this thing backfiring uh, and just like COVID, I think in many ways played into the hands of God. Not only did it expose things in the natural, but it makes people realize that what they had Maybe to some degree it's going to make some people realize that what they had in this country for God was not really God. And it's going to open their hearts spiritually to that visitation, those visitations when he comes. But in the same way, what if slavery did that for the black people as well? I'm not saying it was God's plan, but just like Job, that wasn't God's plan either, but he allowed it. Right. And it made Job a much stronger individual in the end. And it, it certainly gave glory to the Lord. And what if all of that was a way of protecting his heart in this nation through the African-American people? So there's just all kinds of little channels you can go there, but it's, it's pretty amazing. And you saying that, it just made me think, you know, so you go back to Israel and all those terrible things that happened to them, they had feasts that lamented those terrible things. And the father came through and said, instead of lamenting these terrible things, look how I brought you through and make that your point of focus for how I preserved you. That's in this nation what we need to do. Instead of looking at something that, yes, in the natural was terrible to have anybody enslaved to somebody else. But if we can see how really it preserved the heart of God and how that was the father's doing and then celebrate how through that, you know, like if that could be understood and seen and known that it's like, but this is how the Father preserved his heart for this nation, truly, how he preserved what he wanted to do, then yes, it's awful, but yet the hand of the Father was in it. Well, it's like you were saying, David, uh, you know, COVID exposed, you know, a lot of things that uh, you know, we had no clue were really going on. And... Uh, because of that, the heart of the Father has been preserved. You know, people, people are going, wait, 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 wait. And, and that's, that's the only thing that, that has that dramatic effect is, is when we face tragedy or when we face something that, that uh, is beyond our, our expectation in, in grief and in sorrow, suddenly uh, the examination of why did that happen and... Um, to to draw us into um, you know an awakening of of something greater that uh, God has in mind. Yeah, we really believe all of the prophetic words that God has shown us in the network about what He wants to do and is going to do. Then we have to believe that COVID was the big. Uh, charlatanistic thing that happened actually to the very people that are trying to get control. It's the very thing just like with, not on that same degree, but that it it backfired Mm -hmm. in many, many ways in the natural, but we have to believe it backfired in the spiritual too, and we're going to see great fruit. So, back to your 
your previous point on African Americans. It's in high school. Uh, our ROTC instructor was talking about an interview, and I can't remember which athlete it was, but they had asked him, what do you think the, the greatest thing is that, as an African American, that, that, you've, that, that as a whole you accomplish? And he said, uh, praise and worship. And he said, in general, our churches are uh, more free in the U.S. Than, than the white churches, and we tend to be more exuberant, and I think we've benefited from it. Um, another thing that I heard on the news, or pseudo-news, whatever, there was a, an African-American individual, and he was talking, and he said, you know, the great lie is if you look at the, the true history of the U.S. from the Emancipation Proclamation to the 1940s, late 40s, African Americans actually moved and progressed more socioeconomically than any other race of humans ever has done. Because it wasn't till after then that they started attacking our families, our family units, and our men. And he goes, We had at that time, and this is from this gentleman, so I've not fact checked, he said, At that time, we had the highest rate of traditional uh, family households. We had the lowest rate of divorce. And he said, we were climbing the, the ladder. But sometime between then and the 60s, they started, things started changing, right? Now, keep in mind, in the 40s, you still had a lot of the segregation, right? The, the, the segregation, desegregation of the South didn't end until the 60s, right? And, you, I mean, you still had the... George Wallace's and the Bull Connors. I know they, they were more of the 60s element, but you had people like that. Um, and they, they did better then than now when, when attitudes are different, when you don't have segregation. And when you look at, and, and they've changed it, uh, BLM has changed their mission statement. But the original mission statement had in there they were going to redefine the nuclear family. That that family didn't matter. That is nonsense. That is a lie from the enemy to destroy these people. And you have to ask, back to your point, why does this demographic of people get targeted so much by the enemy if they're not powerful? You know? So, and it's funny you mentioned the praise and worship because that was one of the things Bonhoeffer took back with him was records of the Negro spirituals because he, he felt such life in them when they would sing them. Mm -hmm. And coming from uh, Luther's Reformed Church in Germany, which had become just a shell of nothing, uh, it was all liturgical. There was no, it was just people felt good about themselves because they were willing to sit. 30 minutes or 60 minutes on hard pews in a service. And that, that did their service for them, you know, for the day. And I also make note the fact that, sorry, the fact that, um, that you had churches. And I know one of my best friends in college she grew up in a Christian church in South Carolina where her uncle would stand at the door with a shotgun to keep blacks from coming in the, in the door. I know that if that was occurring in churches, and I'm not saying every single church in the South, but if that was a predominant thought through a lot of the Deep South, 
then it didn't matter how many times you mentioned his name, Christ was not being preached. Right. Very true. I think it's just fascinating uh, that as you spoke, the, the segregation was the best thing because it kept the African-American black church pure. And it wasn't until there was a movement to, to bring them into the, uh, the white connotation of America that they began to be corrupted and that the, their family structure began to disintegrate. So we just, we just speak that the African-American church will arise just as the Father has prophesied and that they will take their rightful place in this nation and they will be a powerhouse for the kingdom of God. So, but so, people saving the nation, the soul of the nation, that's us. And it is not going to be through any person standing up trying to claim things that they don't have the authority to claim. That's all I have.